Straight out of Scotland, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from the University of Edinburgh. Today's episode is a science episode. Oh, I love science. From driverless cars to robots helping surgeons in hospitals, we are increasingly accepting the role of machines and artificial intelligence in controlling our lives and taking decisions for us. However, should I really worry about my Alexa device taking over the world? In today's episode, I sit down with Weishuk Bell. We discuss the nature of artificial intelligence and an array of ethical questions that arise from our use of AI. If you have questions or topics that you would like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullins.com. Well, ready or not, here's Weishuk and I chatting about AI. Enjoy. So, Wyshek, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, I want to start with just some definitions of terms here. So let's just start with a simple one, or maybe it's simple, I don't know. What is artificial intelligence? Yeah, thanks a lot, and thanks for having me here. Uh, that, that indeed is a kind of a complicated question, and perhaps it's difficult to give a very concise answer without actually reflecting on the history of the field. Uh, initially, uh, what people were really interested in were artificial agents, such as robots, and they kind of wanted to capture the intellectual capabilities of these agents and what they could do. And this is how the term came about, this is what people had in mind. And so the idea would be, can these systems kind of solve problems like humans in some cases, and unlike humans in other cases, uh, and that's essentially what led to the, the field burgeoning as it did. Now, there are various dimensions that kind of further complicate the question. So, for instance, are we talking about a physical agent? Are we talking about a software agent? And each of this, you know, are we talking about embodied cognition? So is the cognition inside this agent and so on and so forth? And all of these kind of reflect on what exactly does it mean uh, to actually say the system is intelligent in some sense. Uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, all of these dimensions notwithstanding, I kind of think that intelligence or artificial intelligence really captures two fundamental human capabilities. One is the ability to reason, uh, where we are able to kind of process information and come up with new conclusions from what we know. And the other ability is the, is the ability to learn, where we kind of see examples and we're able to generalize and come up with some kind of structure that captures these examples. And in that sense, uh, you know, it also reflects that the field has really kind of uh, looked at these two different aspects of reasoning and learning. And so AI is kind of capturing how to integrate that much more closely. Okay, so you identified two different things there. You said reasoning and learning. So let's start with learning here. So like, what does it mean to say like a machine learns? Like what is machine learning? Machine learning fundamentally is a field that tries to identify or, or induce functions from examples. Um, often the idea is that this, this function is hidden in some abstract sense in the examples and the idea is that we design an algorithm that's actually able to inspect these examples and infer this kind of structure. So to give a very simple example, imagine you're getting your email mm -hmm. and this email is from some random person and you don't know if this is spam or not. Uh, so what a machine learning engineer would kind of do is kind of identify in which sense should we inspect this email, what are the features, who's the sender, what's the content of this email, and he constructs this kind of abstract space, and then from this abstract space, he defines an algorithm that's able to kind of figure out, you know, from looking at the contents of the email and the sender, whether it's spam or not spam. 
So uh, that's roughly the gist of what's happening here. And although in principle you would think that machine learning is somehow completely automated, um, in fact, a, a lot of it really relies on the ingenuity of the engineer mm. uh, because he has to understand what the data is saying. And what he's really trying to do is construct an algorithm that can process this in an efficient and effective manner to give you what you want. Okay, so I've got a couple other questions here. So you've, you've mentioned a lot of different things I want to get into. So I want to start with another definition. So like, what do you think an agent is? And do you think that, uh, like, I don't know, maybe, like, what are some of the properties of an agent? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And in fact, uh, as far as I'm concerned, agency is a central, central idea in artificial intelligence. And uh, one of the reasons for this is that if you think of any kind of computing entity, so for instance, if you think of a calculator, although in principle it's able to process uh, things much faster than we do, uh, we wouldn't consider this essentially intelligent in some sense mm -hmm. because it is lacking agency. Uh, so the idea of agency in general is that it's a computational entity. Uh, so if you think of us, for instance, I would think of us as computational and emotional entities in a biological body. Mm -hmm. And we th when we think of something like a robot, what we're imagining is essentially a computational entity, a purely computational entity in kind of a metallic body. Uh, but nonetheless, what what you know what differentiates us is that um, uh, I suppose humans typically have this notion of an intention. So you could differentiate agents on different levels. You could think of a very simple agent that purely is re reacting to some kind of external input. So again, a calculator is is a very simple but stupid kind of agent. Right. Another kind of agent would be like a light sensor that kind of detects people walking across a corridor mm -hmm. and lights up. Uh, but if you wanted to go you know, to the next level of sophistication, you would try to think of agents having beliefs, desires, and intentions. Uh, the beliefs kind of capture what the agent understands about the world. The desire is some kind of goal that it has in mind uh, that it wants to achieve. And, uh, and um, intention is essentially how it acts upon its uh, or uses its, its capabilities to realize what it wants to do. Okay, so you said, so agents, as you're understanding it, typically have, you said, beliefs, desires, and intentionality. So do you think that we could say that artificial intelligence has these properties of agency? When we think of artificial intelligence in a, in a broader manner than sometimes strictly seen in news articles and Twitter feeds, for instance, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, because often what people are talking uh, about when they do mention AI in, in, in Twitter, they're typically thinking of machine learning, where again, it goes back to this narrow definition of trying to construct examples, from, uh, constru construct a function from data. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, uh, AI is really trying to encompass these different capabilities in one you know kind of structure and in that sense agency is central and important um, uh, now keep in mind that there's a lot more going on uh, you know in, in the design of this AI agent because fundamentally we think of this agent as uh, as uh, being able to understand some of the causal properties of the, about the world trying to understand how you know how the physical world works how the or even being able to draw analogies so there's a lot more going on uh, besides the pure learning aspect. So in that sense, AI does capture agency in quite a central way, I would think. So, so you mentioned uh, understanding. So the, you said the, the person who's designing the AI, they have to have a good understanding of the causal uh, network within the world. Do you think the AI actually has that sort of understanding? Or is that just something that only the engineer has? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So causality and in fact, inferring about the physical world has always been a deep question uh, for, uh, for, for, for people working in AI. And I guess uh, it all boils down to the, it, to the idea is that do we have a suitable mechanism to inform the agent to learn the causal structure? Mm-hmm. So classically what happens is that you have this huge chunk of data and then you feed this to the agent uh, or a machine learning system typically and the machine learning system kind of identifies correlations between various features. Uh, which in some sense is okay, uh, but of course this is not causality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, what you have to, uh, what we have to design is a mechanism for the system to actually connect and interact with the physical world, so that it can understand what are the physical laws governing the world. Mm. And that requires a little more experimentation. It requires a broader algorithmic, algorithmic design, uh, and uh, it's not just about you know function induction essentially. Right. So it sounds like there's a lot of complicated issues when I'm trying to figure out how do I communicate to an AI and how does the AI communicate back with me? Yeah. Well, I guess this raises a particular worry for me. So with with humans, I mean, there's enough language complications as it is trying to convey different ideas. But with humans, though, I know that in some sense we have similar ethical concepts. So when I'm talking to someone else like you, I can kind of talk in ways that like, here's some of the ethical concerns I have, moral concerns I have, and there's a way for you and I to figure out how to align our values. When I'm looking at an AI though, I guess I, I kind of lose my ability to, or my grasp to understand how that's possible, like, given the sort of communication barriers we have. I don't know if an AI actually has the sort of moral sensibilities that you and I have, so how could I really relay these things to an AI to figure out how to make sure our, the AI's values and my values actually line up? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question, and it uh, leads to this idea of value alignment. And in fact, it's an open question, and we don't uh, yet have very good ideas how exactly we can convey our intentions and our objectives, and and assume that the machine interprets them in the way we want it to. And now, keep in mind that, as you point out, uh, uh, even though you know morality is a huge topic, uh, you know, in human society there are various different ethical principles that Mm -hmm. come into play and we often have trouble interpreting these principles in the first place and even if we do we disagree on them to a large extent Uh, so the question of taking these kinds of normative ideas and somehow transferring them to a kind of algorithmic perspective that a machine could could leverage Mm -hmm. uh, is uh, seems in some sense impossible but at the same time, there are people trying to come up with, you know, uh, formal models uh, or even a, a certain mathematical structures that try and capture some of the aspects of this. And I suppose uh, keeping in mind that, um, you know, for, for AI, we do need certain mathematical models to actually make some progress. Uh, one way to to kind of uh, take a leap here is maybe design systems that have some kind of uh, partial understanding of what we're trying to capture. Try and see what this does. Does uh, not in a in, in, in a in, you know deployed in a grand scale, but really have some way of experimenting so that we have, we better understand what are the best ways to convey uh, our objectives to these robots. So, for instance, this is precisely what many roboticists do, either implicitly or explicitly, because you know they cannot anticipate every possible situation the robot would find itself right, in. Yeah. And the best they can do is uh, kind of have some framework where the robot is able to interact and understand what the humans are expecting from it. And we study these these kinds of uh, environments and make judgments of them and understand what it would mean to improve this in kind of a safe and robust manner. And that's you know a huge 
exciting area of AI right now. So I want to make sure I'm following this. So, so you're saying that what some people who are working in robotics, they're, act, they're kind of like programming an ethical framework into the robot and then giving a little playground to see how it plays out? Uh, perhaps it's 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 uh, the ethical framework itself. I suppose is not incredibly popular mm-hmm. yet. Uh, what they're mainly concerned with right now is something like uh, the notion of safeness, which means that we understand that the robot, for instance, with metallic arms, could move in various trajectories, and you're kind of seeing, okay, among the trajectories it does cover, uh, what is a reasonable way to kind of bound this so that we can be sure it doesn't end up doing something unintentional, mm. uh, unintentional to us. Right. Uh, um, and so, but of course, if you take a broader perspective, there is an ethical component that it does come up in robotics. A good example is uh, is a self-driving cars. Mm. Uh, and often the issue here is that, uh, uh, you know, self-driving cars may have to make, uh, you know, snap judgments in really critical situations. For instance, maybe it's driving in the evening and it sees what it thinks is a child crossing the road. Uh, you know, the question is, should it save the life of the child or the, or mm-hmm. the passenger in the car? Uh, so, you know, this actually reduces to classical and notorious problems in philosophy. Right, like the so-called trolley problem, where you are, uh, you know, you 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 are in a position where you have a runaway trolley that could potentially kill five people, and it could pull a lever and swerve the trolley and kill, go on another track that kills one person, and you know these are unresolved. And, you know, when people do experiments where they kind of survey what people would do in this situation, we see massive differences across culture, gender, you know, so on and so forth. So it's it's not clear at all if even if you could quantify the responses from people, should we literally take this and put it on the robot? You know, it's kind of a very hard and open question. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are looking into from the regulatory aspect of it, what 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 they could do. It's it's on the one hand, it is uh, kind of opening up uh, uh, a black box uh, because it's 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 immediately not uh, it's not entirely obvious what what this regulation really has to do, um, you know, because um, in, in the end, these systems haven't been deployed on a wide scale. So we are trying to understand the situation where we could have human cars and robot cars next to each other, and that could be problematic for a number of reasons. Sure. Of course, if you had only robotic cars, then maybe you could assign a protocol where everything would be safe. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as you have people and robots working together uh, in this situation, it's, it's not very clear what's gonna happen. Okay, so that brings up a really interesting question for me, because we're entering into an age where humans are going to be relying on AI more and more in order to just you know make everyday decisions or even maybe some really big decisions. So, what do you think are some of the benefits of relying on AI to make decisions? Yeah, there there are many many interesting benefits uh, of using AI in some uh, in, lim- in some limited cases. For example. Um, and not necessarily to make decisions, but there has been cases where people have been using uh, robots for, you know, going underwater or in very precarious situations where sending humans could be dangerous. And in this case, you can kind of see, and certainly robotics has played an important role there, Mm. and you can certainly see the value of having something uh, like this uh, at uh, at our our behest. On the other hand, you do have these dangers that certainly with, uh, with the rise of social networks and certain recommend, you know, the recommendations that could be provided to you and if you decide to accept the recommendations from these systems uh, you know it it, it could lead to a problematic situation where you're not able to challenge 
uh, or criticize the decision that's put on you. A good example mm. is if there is some way in which bias can creep in in these uh, in these systems. For instance, it's of it's uh, seen that when uh, automated systems are trained on historical data, they do tend to embody a lot of biases. And if we deploy these you know these kinds of decisions that are biased, then you know we could see some catastrophic uh, or at least even on a personal level uh, catastrophic situations which we may not be able to recover from. So we have to be careful because I think. AI certainly can be helpful in sifting through large amounts of data, but in the end, you do need a human gatekeeper who can kind of reflect on the decision, criticize what's coming out, and uh, potentially challenge if, if needed before it's widely passed on to the next person. So, so as you understand it, then there's got, there has to be a symbiotic relationship between AI and the human. So whatever an AI is pumping out, whatever it's telling me, they still need a human who understands how to actually interpret the data and figure out how to critically assess it and go, this is what we actually should do. You think like that, that's kind of the future? Oh yeah, that's uh, absolutely central. And uh, and perhaps the best way to, to, to uh, appreciate that observation is to kind of think about, you know, the mainstream research in AI. On the one hand, you do have a research in machine learning, which of course has has been, has uh, skyrocketed so rapidly. Uh, but 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 what, what, as I mentioned, what's happening in that field typically is that you have this large trove of data, you give it to a data engineer, uh, a data scientist, and it's his job to kind of process it, mash it, uh, and, uh, and and provide a way to give this to the algorithm. The algorithm comes back and gives a prediction that again is correlation based mm -hmm. purely on this data, sure. right? So in the end, you need a human being to actually interpret the data in the first place, and you need a human being to understand how the output is contextualized in the context of the way the data was provided to the algorithm. So that's on the one hand, and if you look at the other area of AI, which is not a purely focused on learning, and there you kind of see that humans end up providing the models and the frameworks for the algorithms to work in. Mm. So in one way or another, the human input is everywhere. And uh, this is precisely why we do need a, a, a you know coherent mechanism and strategy to, to 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 stand in between the machine's output and human society, so that we can indeed contextualize it and make sure that there are the, the, there are assumptions in there that we have caught, which might be problematic if deployed without without criticism or challenge. Okay, so this raises a number of questions for me. So I guess the first one is something like this. I mean, so should a machine be held responsible for the decisions that it takes, or should we hold responsible the software developer, the, the production company? Like, I mean, who, who are we supposed to hold responsible for a mistake like that? Yeah, another interesting question, I suppose, uh, also for regulation. But my feeling is that it absolutely should go to uh, to the engineers in a way, um, mainly because if you think about it, uh, you know, holding a machine responsible, even if a machine is capable of potentially reasoning about its choices and making some sort of decision, we have to keep in mind that the uh, principles that we embody in this algorithm is really coming from us. Right. So in a way, even if you held a machine responsible, what would that achieve? Uh, you would need essentially a person who, uh, you would need in some sense to correct, uh, you know, uh, correct the course of action in case you did fault a mistake. And if you think about, you know, like cars, normal cars, what really happens is that if you have a faulty part, you go back to the manufacturer. Right. And I would imagine that this this would naturally extend to the case if you, if you have automated cars. The one, I guess, interesting subtlety is that if these components, some of these components have a learning uh, aspect to them, 
what could happen is that uh, the the manufacturer could argue that in fact this is not what he deployed mm. but because it's learning on the fly learning all the time it is it has picked up mechanisms that that he did not intend it to be and so he could kind of pretend that he's not responsible okay um, I see. so 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 there are open questions here it's not immediately obvious how to yeah. resolve them but but you have to keep that in mind about how but but in the end i would imagine it would it would need to factor in and come back to the manufacturer in the in the in the long term, yeah. Okay, so I, I, I guess I don't know what your meta ethical views are, but when you were, when you were talking just now, it, one of the things that popped into my mind was you're saying, well, I can't hold the machine responsible because, well, I'm the one who put the ethical framework in there. I'm the one who said these are your norms. Um, but with humans, though, like, I mean, I guess if you're a moral realist, you think that maybe humans are discovering different moral principles. Uh, and so there's an aspect of where I'm actually, I'm not being like programmed, you will hold these moral principles. I'm actually trying to discover them and, and deliberate about them. But the robot or, a, or an AI cannot do that. So do you think that's part of why I ought not to hold uh, an AI responsible? Um, yes, in a way, I think that that is the idea, at least as as long as we have not really stumbled into this idea that we have an agent that is truly uh, aware on its own. So, so for instance, you know, there are, for the longest time, people, or even now, I guess, people would argue that in principle, there is no reason we should not be able to construct an automated uh, system, uh, an artificial system that embodies cognition and intelligence and emotional intelligence, even just like human beings. Mm. So, of course, if you have a system with those kinds of capabilities, then this question should be revisited. Uh, then the question of, you know, again, if you think back about science fiction books like, um, you know, Asimov's uh, Laws and so on, mm -hmm. you know, you may want to rethink um, how we decide who is responsible for the course of actions. But in the immediate term, I do see that uh, it, it, uh, human engineering and human ingenuity is everywhere when we think of an AI system. And so there, there is some notion of responsibility that should factor in back to the human being mm -hmm. uh, for designing a certain choice or deploying it in a certain way. Now, this would apply not just to AI, but any system, any technological system. And we do have some amount of responsibility. So that's something to factor in. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you mentioned sci-fi, so this raises another issue for me. I mean, there's a lot of different sci-fi shows that they portray these kind of possible worlds where humanity is just really greatly harmed by artificial intelligence. So you've got like the Terminator cases, uh, there's this show called The 100 where like an AI ends up nuking the entire planet. I mean, these are fun to watch, but they're also really scary. And so like, I mean, the harms that are brought on humanity, I mean, they range from like just inequality among humans, uh, making maybe like a contributing to an unfair society, or like robots just destroying the entire human race. And so this is, you know, it's scary stuff. But so I'm trying to figure out though, how realistic is any of this? Like, so like, what do you think are some of the issues with AI that I should actually be worried about? Yeah, I enjoy science fiction too, but uh, at the same time, I don't find these situations very real realistic at all. Mm. Now, keep in mind that you don't need a system that's super intelligent to really be very destructive. Uh, so a good example is if you have something like uh, using in a drone in warfare, oh, it right. changes the nature of warfare. It doesn't have to be intelligent. You could have a person deciding many of the actions, but he is able to somehow divorce himself from the implications mm. of the actions conducted by the drone. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, this, is, this can change the nature of society. So I think in terms of impact, uh, we don't have to look very far. We don't have to look at AI. We can certainly look at certain practices, you know, in technology and engineering, which already are affecting us in profound ways. 
Uh, now, you know, if you put that aside and if you put aside the fact that to actually create harm, you don't need AI. One interesting, I guess, uh, you know, a fact to keep in mind with respect to AI is that it, it is indeed the case that many scientists do and are inspired by uh, humanity and human cognition with the design AI. Sure, yeah. So in a way, criticizing the field uh, by extrapolating some of the potential consequences seems in some sense overly critical to a point where we're harming progress. I think many scientists are well aware that uh, you know the social implications, societal implications of, of the technology can be profound. Sure. And uh, this has raised a number of initiatives from from things like AI for social good. Um, how do you uh, you know use AI to target or challenge uh, interesting uh, global challenges that we face right now, uh, including things like climate change and poverty. You know how do you apply automated data analytic techniques to these kinds of problems? Uh, is something that many people are embarking on. So in that sense, you know, I, I would I would potentially not worry too much about the, you know robots nuking the world and sure. whatnot. Unless <laughs> again, it goes back to the classic setting where there is really a human in, in control and he uses a very s- a silly system to do something very critical. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's where I, I, I'm at. Now keep in mind also that the other kind of issue we are seeing is uh, relates back to this notion of bias and unfairness. So for instance, when you take into account that you naively train a system on historical data, you run into the danger that it's incorporating some historical bias. You could also consider that if you do automate a lot of technologies, it could happen that people lose jobs, right? So this is a big issue that comes up with self-driving cars, potentially you know, harming the t- taxi industry and whatnot. And that, I think, is another issue, again, we should think about very carefully because we do need some kind of welfare plan that can protect human society in case a large number of the things we typically do is automated. So there are those kinds of issues. We're not there yet, but it's useful to think about it and to ponder about how human society could change by automating some of the tasks. Right, because I know in America we have, well, we rely on semi-trucks, like lorries, I guess, to, to transport things across the, the country quite a lot. Yeah. And I know when a lot of conversations about self-driving cars first got up and running, a lot of different unions were very upset because they're like, no, we're going to lose all our dro- jobs as truckers. And I, di- I didn't even think about, right, of course, taxi drivers would feel the same way. Uh, so can you think of other examples, though, where uh, uh, the bias within the AI might actually kind of lead to some more societal unfairness? I suppose it's... It's not entirely obvious to me uh, what of the tasks, what are the critical tasks or decisions that we we would like to automate. So, for instance, of course, if it's something like recommending books or movies on Amazon, sure. um, the idea of bias uh, may not really be significant, unless, of course, um, it, it so happens that it recommends certain kinds of books to men and certain kinds of books to women, which are overly stereotypical, and people would be offended. So, yeah. Sure. So, in that case, you would want to correct bias. So when you consider decisions of that nature, I cannot imagine that bias is too much of a big deal and we can correct it fairly easily. But, you know, one of the realizations the community has had regarding this issue of bias is that they've tried to address it by coming up with various kinds of definitions that they want the predictor or the classification system to adhere to. Now, it turns out that some of these definitions are somewhat inconsistent with each other. So we don't really have a kind of a 
universally agreed upon definition of fairness. Right. And uh, this, of course, means that if you know, even if we wanted to correct bias in many systems, we don't have a very good answer what to do. My suggestion there, the pragmatic feeling there would be that we would need a way to kind of uh, be able to audit the decisions um, of, of, of companies and systems. So if it came to it that, uh, that a system is providing a decision and we feel that this is unfair, then, then we should be able to challenge it. And so in that sense, I would imagine that we would be fairly uh, enthusiastic, but nonetheless somewhat critical about using automated decision-making at a very critical point, uh, for very critical decisions, for instance. Mm -hmm. And uh, this should, for instance, make us a bit more careful. Um, so yeah. So, okay, so can you maybe identify some different approaches for solving the problem of, of fairness within machine learning? Like what are some approaches that you've seen and what are some ones that you think work better? What are the classic ideas right now? And it's working it's, it, on many uh, you know, kinds of data sets, it's showing interesting results, is trying to formalize uh, this notion of things like equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. So roughly the idea is you apply for a job, right? You submit your CV and somewhere it states your gender and you would like the decision to not be based on that. Right. It's such that if there's another applicant, exact same CV, exact same capabilities and whatnot, but just that the person happens to be female, you don't want the decision to kind of say, oh, we prefer the male person or the female person purely on, you know, just based on uh, based on the gender. So what people are trying to do right now is to try and understand, well, what would it mean to formalize this notion of equality of opportunity? And it uh, roughly speaking, it amounts to saying the decision should not change if you swap the gender of the of the individual in question, which kind of makes sense, right? right? Yeah. Intuitively, it makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, often what we see, however, is that even though the definition is interesting and simple, the trouble is that this th there could be a variety of ways where the gender of the person or any other critical attribute is reflected. Uh, for instance, you have these things called proxies. For instance, even though I might hide the fact that uh, what my gender is in my CV, maybe the school that I go to happens to be an all-boys school. Oh, sure, yeah. And so, you know, and a person looking at that immediately would be able to make out that, okay, this person is male. So there are these issues with these proxy attributes, and it's not immediately clear uh, without a human actually going in, stepping in, and trying to pair together all the variables that influence each other when it comes to these critical decisions, how we would do this. So in a way, this definition is a good one, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, on many data sets, it is showing promise, but there is this issue of discovery, especially because we don't you know, truly have a, a good understanding of how deep such a critical attribute is related to everything else. For instance, maybe you went to an internship. It so happened that the internship was only for women. Right. So immediately you'd be able to identify. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many different ways it could right. pop in and it's not clear how to identify all of them in one stretch. OK, so that's so some of the challenges in trying to figure out how to actually make some machine learning that can maybe figure these things out or needing, again, like you said, a gatekeeper, a human gatekeeper that says these are mistakes that we're missing. So we have to look at the data differently, even though the AI is telling me this is how it is. 
I know that it's got some mistakes in it. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's a good approach. I think the human-in-the-loop approach is is really a very promising direction. Once we factor in that we are still in the process of understanding uh, exactly what happens in many of these models and what makes them brittle or robust and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so human intervention is really useful. So I guess at this point, I've still got some worries about the future interaction between humans and artificial intelligence. So, so you're part of this project called the Experiential AI, and it's kind of meant, I guess, to assuage some of these worries. So just tell me a bit about this Experiential AI. Like, what is the goal of this project and kind of what are, how are you going to achieve these goals? Yeah, so that's a very inter- inter- interesting project we started with the Edinburgh Futures Institute. And basically the premise of that, of that project was to kind of understand that once we realized that in fact uh, there is a gap in, in the way human society understands what happens with algorithms, and what these algorithms actually do, we, mm-hmm. wanted, to, we wanted to consider the, 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 the concept whether art could provide a kind of mediation between human society and what happens with technology, especially artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And we kind of broaden the scope right now to kind of also think about, well, what about the issue of fairness? What about the issue of moral, morality and ethics? How would these factor into this broad picture? And it goes back to this kind of idea that perhaps, you know, artists have been extremely good in, in, in for centuries to kind of explore some of the dimensions of various advances in society and kind mm-hmm. of help us help us reflect on that. And we're hoping that with this program, essentially, it would be possible for artists to provide a similar kind of platform between artificial intelligence and human society. So we are in the, in the very early stages. We have an artist residency call out, and we're hoping that with this, we would be able to make more progress and kind of see if art can really help us understand some of these thorny questions regarding regulation, AI, ethics, and fairness, and mm-hmm. explainability. So I guess I want to make sure I'm following along here. So when I'm looking at different artists, a lot of times they're painting these pictures for me these, of these possible worlds of what the future could look like. And so sometimes that's a way to really help me actually start imagining what would it be like to be in a world where this technology exists or where maybe this where this uh, where the robots exist or AI exists. And so that's kind of the idea is to help people start actually imagining like these are ways this could be like in good ways as well. Not yes. just not just like scary Absolutely, ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So we of course the focusing on the negatives is all too easy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and um, and uh, you know as I mentioned uh, um, uh, almost all AI scientists are kind of universally aware about the implications of the technology and how it could impact. So the, the point really is that in a way is to provide some kind of transparency. So uh, for instance, scientists think about when they think about things like explainability or fairness, mm-hmm. think about it in a certain way. They understand at various levels how this could impact. But uh, perhaps we could use art as a way to fine-tune some of the implications of that. Perhaps we could kind of show how uh, certain aspects could be beneficial for humans to understand what's happening with AI or vice versa. We are hoping that uh, this could provide a platform really to, to put out all of these issues and explore the positives and the negatives of how AI and its technologies could be useful as well as you know issues we should be careful about mm-hmm. and how they could manifest in a way that we haven't thought about before. Right, and that seems like that would help foster some more responsibility in thinking about these issues, maybe create a bit of empathy for the scientists so we're not always looking at them as like, you're trying to do this horrible Black Mirror stuff, <laughs> Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, that seems like a really interesting project, yeah. Yeah, thank yeah. you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so thank you so much for being on the show today. This was absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much, yeah. yeah. 
And there you have it, another episode of the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Stay tuned for episodes on the nature of consciousness and the existence of God. 